Welcome back, Outdoor Adventures Podcast, Episode 3. Today we're going to be talking about long-range shooting, a little bit about ballistics. None of us are experts in the room. We've all done a fair amount of shooting. Uh, we're going to talk through the rifles that we have and, and why we have them and maybe the next gun or the dream gun, if you will. And I've got with me Dylan and John from West Slope Outdoors again. And I've got my buddy Chris Hayden here with us as a guest today as well. So say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Yeah. Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> nice. Uh, so we're going to start with Johnny, and he's going to tell us about what he's currently hunting with, his dream gun, and uh, you know maybe the long shots you've taken and what you've learned just out there with different weapons. I have quite a few different guns that I use. But it seems like I always go back to like this main one. I have a Browning A-Bolt and 270 that my grandpa gave me when I graduated high school. And I've kind of stayed true to that one lately. I just kind of recently got into long range shooting. Haven't done much long range hunting, but have built a couple chassis on different rifles for long range shooting and it's what calibers fun. are those uh i have one i built a 308 and i built a 6.5 creed more which i really like that one for the long range shooting just how flat it is no recoil at all you can shoot it forever and then i have one in uh 6.5 prc has been my late my latest one that i've done okay how about you dylan um so i dude i'm not very like I shoot one gun, right? Like I have one gun to my name and it's the only gun that I probably will ever hunt with. It's a 300 Weatherby Mark V Deluxe, bougie. Uh, and I just got a new scope for it this Christmas. But before that, all I had on it was a three by nine. So, cause I don't know, a lot of style hunting we do, you know, around here in Western Oregon, it's, it's tight shooting. Didn't feel like I ever felt like I needed anything. And then I got into some situations over east, the last time I drew an over east tag, um, I had to shoot what was it, 350 yeah. when I shot my deer over there. And it was, dude, you're looking at a speck through that scope. <laughs> On the it three was by nine. Good night, man. I was so surprised that we walked up to it. Perfect shot where I needed it to be. And it was just, man, if I didn't have that good rest when I shot, it would have been, there's no way. There's not a chance. So um, I got an eight by 24 by 50 on there now, loophole. Um, got to go sighted in, um, get familiar, got a turret on it. I got to figure that side of the thing stuff out, which John is going to help me out with that since he kind of knows that. But uh, the reason why that's the only gun I shoot is what my dad's had since he was 18, 19. He bought that gun, one of those guns at our local gun store. Then Sam actually picked up mine. My dad bought for me for my graduation present after high school. Yeah. So that gun, I'm at this gun show down in Southern Oregon and I see this 300 Weatherby Meg uh, looked at the era in which it was built, which so I knew it was made in Japan, which I knew was the same gun your dad had. So I took pictures of it and I sent it. I still have the pictures on my phone. I'm like, do you want me to buy you this? And he's like, yes, yes, buy it now, buy it now. And the Dylan's dad was building his house, and you know, you know, when you're building a house, you're spending a lot of money, and probably didn't have that extra cash sitting around to buy this thing. But you don't know when you're going to bump into a gun like that, and yeah. it was the owner had never been fired. It had only been tested and it was in his gun shop forever. And he was just letting it go at this gun show. So I knew, 
you know, it was going to be a gun I had to pick up. So, yeah. Well then like on top, well, first of all, back to the house thing. Um, I'm pretty sure you had to come in through the basement doors. My dad was like, Hey, Lisa's here. Yeah. Bring her around back. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, he met me at the truck actually. He goes, let me see my new baby, you know, and he wanted to see yeah. the gun. And then, uh, yeah, the check was a subtle little handoff. Yeah. Yeah, just a drug deal, kind of. Just here, yeah. put this in your pocket, <laughs> right? Fast. Yeah, don't make uh, eye contact with Lisa and get out of here. But no, like I've seen my dad; he has a crazy amount of success. Like his antelope tag that he drew, he shot a antelope at six hundred and fifty yards with it, and um, I've seen him make some crazy long shots with that thing. And he's just so comfortable and familiar with it. And I was like, well, that's a no brainer for me. Like it's clearly proven this gun's going to work for it. So, and the, those guns are really quiet. So like when you're next to him, when he shoots, it's just yeah, so it's quiet. super quiet. They yeah. don't kick or nothing. Yeah, your no shoulder recoil. feels fine. Speaking <laughs> of quiet, uh, tell us about that rest you had on that last buck that you shot over East. Oh yeah. So my rest, I think that was on my second shot. Cause I think the third shot I shot, I used the log, right? Yeah. So my second shot, first shot, by the time John saw this deer come out, um, it was about 50 yards from us. I don't know what I was doing, but the, by the time I was shooting it, it was running at about 150 yards, and it went down to the other side of the ravine, started side hill and shot, and then John goes, use my shoulders, rest. <laughs> okay, plug your ears. Yeah. And he just he plugged the opposite side ear. That was it, but he didn't want to cross over my scope. <laughs> I felt so bad. So the rest of the hunting trip, Johnny, were you, huh? Yeah, what? yeah, it was you like this. Talk to the other side. I was John sitting in the passenger seat up front. And all you hear is what? <laughs> we no, always we didn't about say anything, it, John. Yeah, <laughs> you're just here in the truck right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good friend. Yeah, yeah, it is. Dude. Hey, I shot my antelope over a guy's shoulder, and it, it's an effective way to do it. We had always talked about it, but yeah. we had never done it. But it finally it worked out. It works. It pans out. Yeah, Mr. Hayden, what do you got for us? What, what's your go-to weapon? I used to be shooting the Tika T3 in 7mm 08. That's mostly my deer rifle. But I moved over to a Kimber Mountain Ascent in 7 mag. Mm. And it was a, that was my dream gun for a while, like a nice higher end sheep rifle. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it in 280 AI, but you just don't see them, you know, where we're at mostly. And the bullets, trying to find bullets. God, it was hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but luckily, uh, through a forum, I ran into a guy at Loopold who was selling a a demo gun that they had. So I got it for less than half price, which was awesome. Oh, oh dude, that's killer. Yeah. A steal. I feel like ever since you've been here, you keep telling us about your deals. And I'm like, I got to hang out with this guy you more need often. Because <laughs> I feel like you'd help my inventory. My wife probably wouldn't like you too much. but No, my gun safe is full. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and here's sure. the thing. Four spot this podcast might be filled you know yeah we got a guy like this yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's working out yeah well it was like the ad because it was on a forum no one even commented because i saw it i was at work and i saw it and i was like oh this thing's gonna be gone it has to be gone and i messaged him he said no one's interested i said oh wow you know he was selling a couple other things with it and i that i, I didn't need like rings and he said, well, I'm, I work in the custom shop at Leupold. I was wow. like, well, what kind of deal can we work out on, right. on some optics? That's awesome. And I got a VX3 HD. I should have just bought the 5 now that I've looked through them. It's, for me, it doesn't make much difference you know, either way. 
Uh, but it is a smooth, like no recoil gun that weighs maybe six and a half pounds. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, I got to tell you, I think we talk about this every time. You, when you start out in anything, fishing, hunting, whatever, you always try to save money where you shouldn't. And optics oh, yeah. is one of those things that spend the money, do it. Through. I've bought cheap optics my whole life, and then I always regret it. And then I end up replacing that scope with a better scope. And so one of the reasons I want to talk about this topic is I'm in the market for a long-range gun. I want to be able – I don't have ambitions to take an 800-yard shot, but I want to be able to take a 500-yard shot should I need to. Um, because the area that we hunt, there's a lot of long shooting and I want to kind of build out this gun. Now I'm not going to go like the custom, you know, $6,000, $8,000 setup. I'm not going to go that extreme with it, but I want to get a good all around long range gun. And right now I have a 243, I got a 30-06 and then I got a 220 Swift that I was going to have my son use for his first deer season just because light on the recoil and it's a predator gun, but for deer, it'd be all right. Um, but, you know, for me, the 243, that's all my dad ever hunted with. And we were deer hunters. We weren't elk hunters. So it was enough. And he killed a lot of deer. It's a nice flat shooting rifle. And so there's a nostalgic piece to that. And I think, you know, like you touched on the 270 Browning Able for you, your grandpa gave it to you. 300 Weatherby Meg, your dad always hunted with that. Yeah. Well, Chris, then, did, sorry to cut you off, but like when I started hunting too, I got a 243 from our grandpa as well, uh, passed down to me. And that was a very special gun. And now my wife uses it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a 270 as well. That was, oh, dude, I love that thing mm-hmm. from my great uncle passed. See, I started with a 270. That was the first gun I bought. And I, the first few animals I shot, it was one shot, one kill kind of thing. And then I started missing. And I don't know if it was buck fever or what it was. So then I lost confidence in the gun. And I'm like, I'm trading this thing in. I did research on Winchester during the area in which my gun was built. And it was like their quality wasn't as good at that time. And you know how you can psych yourself out. I'm sure the gun was fine. Yeah, <laughs> I took to it to a gun show and traded it in for this 243, which I like. I mean, it's a cool, nostalgic gun that I'll probably give to my son someday kind of thing. Um, but... It doesn't have, I wouldn't be comfortable shooting at it a long distance, right? It's not, I mean, you can do it with the right optics or whatever, but the knockdown power is just not there. Um, And we've got, I've got a ballistic chart here that we can talk about. But if, you know, for deer, they say you want a thousand foot pounds by the time it hits that animal. Unless, you know, obviously everybody talks about shot placement, but, you know, for deer, antelope, a thousand foot pounds is plenty, right? Uh, For elk, black bear, boar, you got to have 1,500 foot-pounds, they say. Um, and then, obviously, if you're going for Cape Buffalo and Grizzly, which we don't have a lot of those around here, then you're looking at 2,000 foot-pounds, right? So that's when you're getting into those bigger caliber weapons. But, you know, initially, I was going to go 6.5 Creedmoor. I'd heard all the buzz about that, and I'd read all the articles about 6.5 Creedmoor, you know. and But then they came out with a 6.5 PRC, and at first, I didn't know what PRC stood for. And then I'm like, oh, it's probably precision rifle cartridge. You know, it's just an assumption. Then you look it up and you're like, oh, that's actually what yeah. it is. You know? And so, like Hornady, they keep coming out with these different ones. You know, like they got a 28 caliber, they got the 300 PRC. Um, and there, I think there's pros and cons to all these different guns. We can talk through ballistic wise a little bit, but. Um, you guys keep talking while I flip my paper around. I, I started actually different than you guys. I started with a lever action Winchester. Like a 30-30? A 30-30 from oh, yeah. the early 1950s my dad had bought when he was in high school. And I would be interested to see what the ballistics say on that because it is incredibly 
soft shooting. I mean, the gun's heavy, mm-hmm. you know, and I went from a 22 as a small child to a 10 year old or 11 year old shooting that. Does that still have a nostalgic? Oh, yeah. There isn't a gun I love more than a lever action. Yeah. Oh, and a 30 30 particularly? Well, yeah, but, you know, that's the gun that won the West mm-hmm. type thing, too. Yeah. And I'm a yeah. huge Western guy. So, yeah. yeah the, and you talk to guys from that era, they were mostly shooting Winchester Model 70s. Then the Remington 700 came out. But some guys, you know, grew up shooting the 30 30 or. Like my grandfather, it was a single shot mm-hmm. rifle. That's you know? awesome. Most Americans hunting were poor. Yeah. So it was a cheap gun. And if you go back and look at what guns cost back then, you would be blown away. You're like, $15? And you could order it in the Sears catalog, you know? <laughs> yeah. <and get> it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my grandfather would have Winchester shipped to his house. Well, and if you look at a Western Oregon, a thirty thirty lever action in Western Oregon with as brushy as it is, it's probably all you need. Oh, yeah. Really? I mean, realistically. Depending on what type of hunting you plan on doing. But you could take down an elk with that, and you could get that yeah. up quick in a brushy area. and Very close if you're yeah yeah if, if you you're work out in. in it for sure but if you're just looking over clear cuts so it's no not yeah enough. the 30 30 is probably if it's open a bind site 30 30 oh with a binos yeah <laughs> it's probably not gonna work well let's just start on the 243 and so you know on this ballistic chart and i'm just bringing it up because i have that gun but if i was to take a shot at 500 yards um at 500 yards and this is with a 95 grain bullet um i've only got 804 uh, foot pounds. So uh, really if I, I can't take a 500 yard shot safely unless I have a perfect placement on a deer. Right. So really my max out at about 300 yards to stay within the, the limits that they say you should shoot for, for a deer or an antelope. Um, and at 500 yards, that bullet drops 38 inches. Um, and, and we'll get into the bullet drop. That actually isn't too bad, but the power is just not there. Right. Yeah. Um, and so l- let's jump over, I highlighted a few others. Let's talk about the uh, – actually, the one that was surprising to me was the 257 Weatherby Meg. So when you look at that one ballistically, at the 500-yard level, you still have 1,241 foot-pounds of pressure. So you could technically kill a deer at, with a 257 Weatherby Meg, um, and you only have a 32-inch bullet drop, which is actually really good. I mean, that's right up there with all these other guns we're talking about. Yeah. So if you wanted the least amount of recoil – Wanted to go out 500, which is kind of my goal. So the way I'm evaluating how I'm going to buy this gun is ideally least recoil. But, I mean, I know they have muzzle brakes and recoil pads and all these things you can put on a modern gun now. But most knockdown power within reason. You know, I'm not shooting Cape Buffalo or Grizzly, so I don't need to go all the way out there, right? Yeah. Um, so the 6.5 Creedmoor, by comparison, it's got 34 inches of drop at 500 yards, and you only have 902 foot-pounds of energy at 500. And really, a 6.5, you can really only go out to 400 yards to effectively kill a deer and an antelope. And so if that's your go-to on an elk, that may not be the best choice, you know, based on this ballistic chart. Now, granted, that was a 95-grain bullet. So if you compare that to a 147-grade bullet in a 6.5 Creedmoor, now all of a sudden out at 500 yards, you got 1,400 foot-pounds of pressure. So. You know, but let's enter that 6.5 PRC in the conversation. That's where they, you know, made it a little more souped up. You only have 36 inches in bullet drop at 500, and you got 1,600 foot-pounds of pressure. So to me, 
that's 600 PR 6.5 PRC. You can take an elk with that. You can take a deer with that out to 500 comfortably and you can get your scope to help you figure out that 36 inch drop. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to think about a three foot bullet yeah. drop. That six, five PRC that I have, I bought it a couple years ago and I mean, recoil wise, there's really not much there. Like you, there's a little bit, but nothing crazy. Like it's still controllable and it shoots great. I love mine. I shoot it a bunch. Yeah. And if you, so the next gun on my list that I highlighted was the 270, right? So this, the A bolt that you've got, mm-hmm. you know, with a 130 grain bullet, you're still going to have 1400 foot pounds of pressure at 500. You've got 1650 at 400. So really you're comfortable taking an elk out to 400 and a deer out to 500. Your bullet drop is only 33 inches on that 270. Right. And I mean, we've all heard of David Petzl, the outdoor life guy. He always is like 270 is all you need, or he's kind of a not six guy too, I think. But I read another article from a guy that all he shot was 270, not six. You know, he was old school and he said, all these new weapons, you know, they're too fancy or whatever. I don't need all that. Well, he recently just bought the 6.5 PRC and he's like, I'll never hunt with anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got to look back, you know, like the guys like Jack O'Connor. That's all they shot. He was the 270 guy. He was 270. uh, Winchester pre-64 model 70 is probably one of the most sought after rifles around for collectors mm-hmm. and i've shot one they're wonderful guns but that's what they shot that yeah. 30-06 yeah well and they didn't have these bullet manufacturers coming up with new <laughs> cartridges all the time right. it was probably just one or two grain weights i would suspect but so then. you look at the 280 ackley improved that you brought up earlier so that's a if you shot that with a 162 grain bullet at 500 yards, you got 1569 foot-pounds of pressure and a 33-inch bullet drop. Oh, actually, let me look at the chart. 39-inch bullet drop. So your bullet's dropping a little faster than some of these other ones or a little further, um, but you still got the knockdown power. Yeah. And all that can be dialed in. Mm-hmm. You know. So let's talk about the 7mm Remington Meg. So with a, I just highlighted the 39 so when I was evaluating which gun I wanted to buy, which is a fun project to give yourself, by the way, um, I was looking at this chart going, okay, I want the, the least amount of inches dropped and I want the biggest knockdown power and the lightest caliber. I feel like I can do the things that I want to do with, but I also wanted to look at how readily available bullets are because I'm not going to be a hand loading guy. Like that's just not something I have an interest in. I get that you improve your accuracy by doing that, but these bullets coming right from Hornady or some of these other manufacturers, they're pretty darn good. Like, I don't, I think you're, yeah, maybe you'll get a shell that's not as great as the previous one or whatever, but I don't know. I don't see that being a big deal. Oh, I feel like with today's technology too, like I feel like, especially coming from a factory, that's what they do for a living. It's going to be pretty hard to get something messed up there. Yeah, exactly. And you look at, so this chart gives me anywhere from 139 grain bullet down to 162 grains with the 7mm make. But I like the ballistics on that 139 grain. It's a 32 inch drop at 500 and still 1600 pounds, uh, foot pounds of pressure. So, I mean, that's your go-to, Chris. You, and, you can't argue with that. And I've been shooting Hornady's uh, Pre- Precision Hunter. It's a 162 ELDX. And... You know, I've been hand loading for about a decade now. All I will load anything. I just kind of like it's fun. It's fun, right? You know, my grandfather did it. My uncles did it. 
I like having it. It can get out of control like any other hobby for sure. But it's like it's like you said, I can go to the store and buy a precision round. And I think at the sportsman show they were not even they were like thirty five dollars right. for a box. How much are you really gonna shoot? Right. Two boxes a year, maybe. I, I shoot mean, a lot, so Yeah. If you love the hand loading and it's fun yeah. for you and you've got the you know, the dies and everything and you're ready to go and and you know, then I think why not if it's a hobby. But for me, my wife says I'm a collector of hobbies. I don't need another one on the list. <laughs> you and you me know? both, man. Yeah. Yeah, my hobby is having hobbies. Yeah. So uh, let's just look at 300 or 3030 real quick. So 3030, basically, the chart drops off after 300 yards. It's like, do not use this gun over 300 <laughs> yards, yeah. is basically what it said. So there's just blanks there. That's so funny. So, yeah. So definitely not your long range gun. But I mean, how many shots are over 300 in Western Oregon? Yeah. It, like I said, it just depends on what you're doing. If you're, hand, or if you're hunting in timber, really, you're not looking, maybe 100 yards. Right. Mm-hmm. By the time you see the animal, I don't know, maybe, maybe past 200. I don't know, maybe depending on how big the timber is, how wide open it is. But then once you get into a clear cut, just, yeah, it just depends on what you're, you're planning on doing that day. Yeah. And if you're taking those big Canyon shots, you're going to need something more than a 30, yeah. 30. Right. And it, I think it depends on the, the place you go hunt. Cause some of the clear cuts, they're steep, but they're not long. Right. So, and then, but then you go to another place, there's a clear cut that's freaking, hundred or thousand yards long that you're taking these shots as a bird flies, you know, or whatever as a crow flies. Yeah. And it's, I and when, don't know. And when you look Canyon to Canyon, you, in your mind, you're going, well, that's 250 yards. Yeah. And then when you're bow hunting and you've got your rangefinder with you and you're like, Oh, that shot I took during rifle season was 750. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the yeah. thing too. I think, um, at least for me, I need to get better of, I need a good rangefinder That's going to help me decide the shot that I'm going to take with my rifle. It's not just, oh, I got a bullet in this gun. I can shoot two miles and be fine. You know, it's like you got to be, it's more just showing more respect to that animal that you're taking a shot at. Yeah, agreed. So, you know, I I eliminated 308 for me on this list, which is surprising because everyone said 308 is all you need for long range. Um, You know, the knockdown power is there and the, the ammo is readily available. But the reason I crossed it off is I was looking for bullet drop less than 40 inches at 500 yards. And none of the 308 um, categories will do that. They all are in the 40 to 50 inch drop at the 500 yard mark on the 308. does drop a lot. So that was why I crossed that one off. Um, And honestly, that's I have an OT6, but that's why I crossed off the OT6. The bullet drop was 40 to 60 inches with an OT6 when you get out to 500. So I'm specifically targeting long range. I specifically said I want 30 to 40 inches of bullet drop. And, and I don't know why. I mean, it's just you got to find a way to eliminate, you know. If I had an unlimited supply of cash, I would have probably every caliber in my gun set, right? <laughs> yeah. I would. Yeah. But even, Sam, for you, like this year is going to probably, like, you'll probably get that Eastern Oregon tag that we always go to. And like, it's kind of the time to for get you one. to get, get one of those at least going. Yeah. I think too, like for me, I appreciate some, that endorsement. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> For me, there's some excitement getting something new because mm-hmm. I've always shot a lot of the same stuff, but I like to be a bit of a contrarian when it comes to calibers. I've been looking for a long time for a 35 Wayland. No one our age shoots that, but it's a part of history. I would like to get one. Some guys hunted with them sometime. 
you know, I, that's just how I am. I shot seven by fifty uh, sevens that my friends had. They kill elk for right. sure. It's all about finding a range that you're comfortable at, and the yeah. biggest thing is is reps. Mm-hmm. You got to shoot your gun. So yeah. that that thirty five Wayland at five hundred yards drops fifty five inches. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only got a thousand foot pounds of it's not, energy. Yeah. But again, if you if you're not buying that caliber, it goes away. Right? right. That's what's sad about this. You hear That's, about like, hey, this cartridge, just nobody bought it. So mm-hmm. we took it off the shelves. It's hard to see too. You know, I have some older friends who, uh, he has a Japanese war rifle. He doesn't hunt, but a couple times a year, he likes to get out and shoot it. And uh, Hornady does a small run every year. He basically buys them all. <laughs> That's what he told me. He said he bought all the boxes that were around. And he called Hornady, and they're like, "That's all we made." Because <laughs> no one, no one, who's going to shoot that besides a collector? Can, can you put me shoot? on the list? Uh, yeah. As soon yeah. as you make those, they, yeah. they call them as yeah. Sportsman's or Cabela's now, who yeah. does most of it. But, but it's like you said, they will dry up, and you know, along with reloading is uh, reading about calibers, mm-hmm. and all the old re- reloading books they talk about them. It's kind of cool because you're getting a little bit of uh, history. You know, this is maybe what guys shot. Uh, you know, they were hunting bears with X this caliber up on the Kenai or, you know, in the 1950s. It's kind of cool to read about that stuff. Does anybody know what an RCM is? So I've got, I highlighted 300 RCM on the list. The, the reason I liked it, it had 32 inch drop at 500, but it only had a five and a half inch drop at 300, which was way better than most. Is it, I believe that's the Ruger yeah. compact mag. Okay. I thought it was remote control Mustang. <laughs> so Sad. Ruger compact mag. I believe so. Cause that's what the, I'm pretty sure the six, five PRC, the parent case of that is the 300 RCM. I mean, you look at the ballistics on this 300 RCM and it, it's definitely a contender 150 grain bullet and you've got 1600 foot pounds at 500 yards and can, a 32 inch drop. I can honestly say I've never seen a box of, 300 RCM. You That's never will. Ever. Yeah. I don't think you ever will. Okay. So, you know, uh, then there's the 300 Windbag and the 300 Weatherby Mag. Um, let's talk about the Weatherby Mag because we got a Weatherby guy in here. Yeah. Um, and so that one, you've got 36 inches of drop at 500 yards. So not bad. You're right there with everybody else. But the big difference is you still have 2,100 <sighs> foot pounds of pressure at 500 yards. I mean, and that's honestly of the guns I highlighted, one of the biggest ones. And, you know, I have a buddy who swears by the 300 Remington Ultra Meg, and he says he can go out a half mile with it. That one has, you know, 2,400 foot pounds at 500 on that Ultra Meg. That's a hit. Yeah, and it only drops 37 inches. So That's putting a beat down on something. Yeah, and and that depends on how heavy your rifle is. Rifles have become incredibly light in the mm-hmm. last two decades. I, I've i shot a 300 Weatherby. I like them a lot. I think if you were going to buy one gun to hunt on almost all continents, if that's the thing that you were into, that's not a bad choice. Yeah, yeah. You run into some legal issues in Africa, right, with the big five. You're required to shoot certain calibers with so many jewels, but no one I know really is doing that. Right. Right. You know, but if you want to shoot elk or moose or bears, I don't see why that 
isn't a good caliber for you. Yeah. Is the 300 PRC on that? Yeah, it is. And so there's also the 300 Win Mag. I just read an article, and this was a competition shooter, and he said, if you want to make a 1,000-yard shot, the best gun ballistically for that shot is the 300 Win Mag. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was advocating for that. And you read his article, and he makes some good points, and it's similar. Like um, at 300 yards, you only have a a 5.5-inch drop. At um, 500, it's 32 inches. So, I mean, that 300 wind bag is a flat shooter, right? So, the 300 PRC, that's the one my cousin has just been saying, you just that's all you need to buy. I, just, like, I bought one, it was like a couple months ago. I just sized it in, haven't, haven't really shot it much yet, but. Well, he said, get get one of those, and it, it'll do everything you want. you got all these different grains of ammo, so you can shoot you know, lighter stuff or heavier stuff, depending on what you're hunting for. You can shoot some heavy bullets through this. But you know, if you shoot a 225-grain bullet, which is a pretty good-sized bullet, with, through a 300 PRC, you got a 39-inch drop, at, but you still have 2,500 foot-pounds of pressure at yeah, 500 gosh, yards. Dang, that's a but lot. so like to me, I'm never going to need more than the 1,500 foot-pounds. Right. So I'd rather save my shoulder, save money on ammo, and and shoot a lighter caliber personally. Yeah. Like that's where my mindset is. So I'm leaning more towards the 7mm mag or the 6.5 PRC. Like those are the two rounds that have kind of – and if you would have talked to me last week, I would have said the 300 PRC was where I was headed. But then once I look at these ballistic charts and I start really analyzing, it's like I don't need that much knockdown power that far out. But the advantage, if you've got to make that 750-yard shot, I mean, this chart it, yeah. stops at 500 yards. But, like, you brought up your dad shooting at 650. You know, I don't know what my knockdown power is with those smaller calibers, right, when you right. go out that far. So. Yeah. But I also know my eyesight, and I don't know. Well, 750 is a stretch for your eyes, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, you've hunted with me, you know. I mean, shoot, at 200, sometimes I'm like, which one's got the antlers on it? Yeah, well, like that one buck in eastern Oregon standing right side by side i'm not even using binos it's right there underneath that tree i can't see any horns i couldn't see horns it's 100 yards from us <laughs> i know i don't know what happened that day that's age i think yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's definitely Gout age. Flare up. It's, but it's yeah. funny is on my property as i have these little bucks running around i can see these little nubbers and just they turn the right way and you get a glint of that horn it's all angles right just like anything else if if they're standing i mean i don't know what my excuse was on that particular time because i think we have that on video somewhere oh yeah and john's going he's right there <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, and I've then, done that with my brother. There was a monster old reverted fork under a tree, and he couldn't see the deer, period. And I was like, dude, it's right there. And it was first year hunting, and I really wanted to shoot it, you know? Yeah. Well, even, I mean, over there, too, I, I will give you some benefit of the doubt. The horns are a little bit different color, especially that one. It was very light, and the tree behind it definitely blended in well. And yeah. we named him Blade because he had this weird, almost like an elk blade kind of yeah. setup going on and real spinning times on it mm-hmm. yeah he was an odd looking deer and once we chased after that. him when i saw him cresting over the hill i was like man that's a nice buck yeah <laughs> wish i would have shot that <laughs> yeah well, that's where optics yeah i mean they have gotten so good it's and by like for me it's when i, I would always go really cheap and for i think deer hunting out to 150 yards that's kind of okay yeah. Well, you get over into Eastern Oregon, you want to spend the money mm-hmm. by real the best that you can afford. Because mm-hmm. I've looked through, you know, I went to Shot Show in 2014, which is a great, awesome experience as a as a hunter or shooter. And you look through some of the Night Forces or even a Schmidt and Bender, 
and I had a like an awkward exchange in their booth. They're like, "Oh, are you interested?" And I was like, "Not at five thousand dollars. I'm not yeah. for yeah. optic." But and they're not really tailored for hunting. They're starting to go that way, I think, or they are in Europe, not over here. But you look across that giant uh, room with one of those, you're like, "Holy cow!" Yeah, you can see how good the glass is. Yeah, it's there's some amazing. I always read because I'm a middle of the road guy, right? Yeah. I, I'm not going to go totally high end and spend a, you know, more than my mortgage payment on a piece of hunting equipment because the, the technology always gets better and it always gets more affordable. So I'll kind of research and I'll buy kind of the middle grade where I feel like maybe it's slightly higher than I want to push myself, but I know I won't regret it later, you know? Right. And that's kind of my approach. Or I'll get something given to me and I'll use that for a while or whatever, but. It's amazing all the little pieces they start adding up, you know, the rangefinder, the oh, binos, man. the um, spotting scope. And the, you guys have probably seen the technology where you can put your phone on a spotting scope too. And that's really, I think those are really cool. It's called uh, a phone scope. Phone yeah. scope. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm in my forties. We, we use yeah. different, I'm still using MySpace, So that's probably why no one's <laughs> listened to our podcast yet. Because yeah. I keep putting it on my MySpace, and nobody has found it. Well, that's it. like the affordability. There's, I think the first scope I bought was a vortex it was like two hundred dollars i shot a lot of deer with it it was fine once you start looking through more stuff and looking at price tags there's always sales going on mm-hmm. every like five times a year you can find a deal just at the sportsman show they're running 15 percent off all vortex mm-hmm. didn't matter what you buy you can get a pretty good scope for 600 bucks yeah and I've, I've hunted with Vortex stuff. I've hunted with Leupold stuff. Um, you know, the glass is really quality that's out there. It's just finding what works for you and what sight picture you like to look at, too. And like you said, it's all about repetition. That's where I mess up the most is I'm not I – I have enjoy shooting, but I enjoy hunting more. So I, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to – like I've got a neighbor that burns through a 1,000 rounds a weekend. I mean, he is shooting all the time, and he must hand load or something just – or he's got a lot of money, but he shoots all the time. It's just like, bah, 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 bah. and, um, that's not me. Like, I'm not interested in that, but I do know I need to shoot more so that when I'm in those field situations, I'm going to be better prepared. Right. Yeah. There's that thing too, where I, I, when I was a member of a gun range, there, there are guys who are great at shooting at paper. It does become different when it's a real living thing. Cause I've hunted with some of those guys and they cannot put it, put the shot together. I don't know if it's buck fever. I don't really get buck fever anymore because uh, I haven't drawn one of those once-in-a-lifetime tags. Of course, you're going to get it. Or My antelope tag was the uh, the worst I've ever had it. I've never had it until that tag. Non-hunters don't know that feeling. It was a 15-year draw for me, God. like the dream situation for me. I just couldn't wait to go antelope hunt for whatever reason. I was so excited about it and just could not calm myself when we'd see an antelope. And my first – we didn't tell the story – a while back, but my first antelope I shot on that trip was a state decoy. So I had come up on the backside of this decoy. They were trying to get guys from the road. It's like mid afternoon at three o'clock, hundred degrees, fires outside, smoky. And we walk over this huge flat and my buddy Kyler, who, you know, who everybody knows here, uh, he's with me and Dylan and his dad are at the bottom of this Canyon in the pickup ready to pick us up. I come over the hill and I go, Oh, there's a trophy antelope right there looking away from me, you know? And, I use Kyler's, well, I took a freehand shot at first. The thing doesn't move. And I'm like, man, I must have missed. And I couldn't believe it, the thing didn't move. And you're not thinking decoy, right? So this all happens over about 15, 25 seconds. 
So then I get in another shell and I go, Kyler, I got to use your shoulder as a rest, you know? <laughs> so I use his shoulder and I've got my 243. And this is only like maybe a hundred yard shot. It's not a long shot. I'm on his shoulder, fire another shot. Thing doesn't move. Crake in another shot, uh, shoot another one. Still doesn't move. I'm getting my fourth bullet in and I'm getting in the prone position. And Kyler goes, uh, there's blue and red flashing lights. You might not want to shoot that fourth <laughs> shot. <laughs> and so we come walking down the, and I'm like, oh, it's a decoy. It finally hits me, you know? So we come walking down the hill and I hold my gun up in the air and I hold my arms up and I go, did I do something wrong? And these state troopers are coming up the hill and they're like, Nope, we didn't expect a guy to come over that big flat. Yeah, you know, we were trying the to hell out of that. Yeah. Thing. Well, oh. Dylan watched it from the pickup at the bottom and you tell your side of the story. Well, so we come around the corner and I'm like, I was telling my dad, I was like, man, we got to move spots. There's no antelope. Like we got to do something different because it, I mean, my dad, that's where he shot his. And, but that was, I don't know, eight Ten, years yeah. before you got this tag. And so, right. um, he's, just so stuck in that one way like that's oh there's antelope everywhere and i'm just getting done telling them that we come around the corner and there's this just giant antelope standing there and I, <laughs> my dad just goes uh see i told you we don't have to go anywhere and i'm like <laughs> i keep looking at it i'm like man it's like has it looks like it's carpet like you could see where they patched in different spots throughout the body and i pick up the vinos and i'm like it's weird to me that it didn't turn its head to look at us. We're yeah, the only because they have great vision. You were the only like seven pickup times on this road. Yeah, and Stater, well, we waited there because we're waiting for these guys, and then the Stater came up, talked to us, like, "Hey, just let you know, it's a decoy." And I was like, "Yeah, it took us about five minutes, but we figured that one out, you know." And um, then here comes Sam, right as the state trooper gets in his pickup and starts backing up. Like I was so surprised Sam didn't see it. I did and, not see it. Um, there's that vision. Yeah. I was focused on the trophy antelope that was looking away it's from me. It's always a trophy. Yeah. 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 Well, then, he, so he shoots that first shot. Don't know where that one went. Um, but that second shot, the sound it made when it hit that target, it was the loudest sound I've ever heard. Like the clanging metal inside yeah. the decoy. Yeah. <laughs> and then the third shot, same thing. And it was beautiful i was looking i was watching it through my binos and he was right behind the shoulder just just laying maybe a little better yeah good you <laughs> yeah well we don't have to talk about the rest of the hunt though because yeah. there was well hey i came home with an antelope yeah. that's the important part that's a good that's point yeah matters. it doesn't matter how many shots it takes as long as you get it done and i only fired maybe four other ones something like that yeah but with the whole time were you shooting the 243 i was but then i switched to this 308 so I had taken a running shot at running antelope the night before and I didn't realize antelope runs 60 miles an hour. So I didn't lead it at all. And this young kid that we were hunting with, we were on the, some private ground that he, they were letting us hunt. And, um, he goes, did you lead that at all? And I go, no, I go, I've never led, I get, you know, I never have led a shooting animal with a gun. I just have never done that. I've always just, you know, maybe put it towards the front, but I, you know, especially at the distance they were at, he goes, they're running 60 miles an hour, man. You're not going to hit them, you know? And so those were my errant shots. And then, but I mean, the good thing is the next day I, I shot the biggest antelope I'd seen the whole time. So I'm um, besides the, the decoy. Well, so but, going back to the repetition thing though, too, like just getting comfortable behind a gun. Um, and then having that opportunity with an antelope, like for here in Oregon, most tags are at least, at least minimum 12 points. Yeah, unless I think you go it's archery, more towards fifteen. Yeah. If you go yeah, archery, archery, you well, cut that uh, in half. But Eastern Oregon, 
I've been putting in for a archery antelope tag in a unit. This is my sixth year. Mm-hmm. I might get it. We'll see. It's too. It's. It'll probably be a couple more. That's archery tagging. I probably won't kill one. See, I bought nine points before I started putting in for it. So, and then his dad drew his at like point eight or something like that, eight or nine I points. Think it's seven. Yeah. So he got it way early. I'm like, what the heck? Because I might as well start putting in. Yeah. I've already got nine that I've been pre, you know, just buying preference points every year. So I start putting in, putting in year by year. I kept telling my wife, if I ever draw this tag, I'm taking the whole season off, you yeah. know, like I'm going to be gone. And then I finally draw the tag and we had all those fires over there and it was super hot and super dry. We saw an antelope the night before season opened. Yep. And so we kind of went after him, but we couldn't f- ever find him again. Yeah, my, my coworker didn't put in for a hunt, but bought points, 19. And I told him, I go, shit, you could have drawn that already and been halfway to another one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why, why not? And he's a well-rounded hunter. He, he, he killed a nice one for the unit, but that's the thing guys don't think about. Well, John, you drew with how many points? It was my first time putting in for it. He put awesome. in for it first yeah, time yeah. out and like beat the lottery system, you know, and that's and rare. Got it. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was super sweet. Yeah. He that's went sweet. and bought a Powerball ticket right after. Yeah, I would. Didn't yeah. win that one. Yeah. Well, yeah. my cousin told me one of his buddies that he works with drew some, um, premium hunt tag in Wyoming for elk. He comes running downstairs and gives my cousin a big hug and is like, I drew the premium Wyoming elk. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole. I haven't. I didn't put in for the premium tags this year. I couldn't even find out how to do it, but I normally do. I yeah, I stopped. I just do the points, and but it's like holding that lottery ticket in your pocket. You know, it's like that hope of you could draw that tag. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there were a couple years where I was putting in for bighorn tags in you know Arizona, like five states, and I'm like, I'm. It's almost better just to focus on your career. Mm-hmm. And buy a tag, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe not for bighorn, but you can. You'd have to look, but there are some years the goat tag for Oregon's like seventeen thousand, which is a chunk of money. But just to you, buy the tag, just to buy the tag. But if you focus, I mean, you're going to be spending that same amount of time probably putting in for it and still never get it. Right. Yeah. You know. Wow. I mean, that's the hard thing about it. Well, do we have anything else on ballistics we want to talk about? Well, I do want to ask you quite because we didn't really talk about it with our guns uh, as far as the grain of bullet we all use. Mm-hmm. Um, for my gun, I shoot 180 grain bullet, and I know that changes ballistics, obviously. Yeah. yeah, your ballistics a little bit. Let me look at where you're at on the chart here. Uh, for me, it's like I pick a grain of bullet and then I just keep shooting that same. Yeah, one, but your you gun know? may not shoot that very well too that's the thing too that's the variability between barrel making and these uh, companies producing bullets your bullet may shoot a much tighter group going up to uh, a heavier grain to a heavier grain you Mm -hmm. know i my seven millimeter 08 it shoots i shoot 139s and they're just a uh copper uh a copper bullet with a lead tip like the Mm old-fashioned i tried shooting all kinds of these new bullets through it it just shoots a nice, pretty good, tight group with that bullet. Yeah. And it's the Hornady Whitetail uh, ammo. It's like some of the cheapest ammo made. Yeah. And it shoots it really well. So sometimes that's the thing is it kind of sucks to have to buy a bunch of boxes. Uh, but if you know a guy who hands load, hand loads, you can find a grain weight because you're shooting 180s. Yeah. That's going to be good for a lot of things. But maybe that 180 might not be right for that gun. Yeah. But, so for me, my 243... 
I think it's a 95 grain bullet, but I have, um, it's an old Winchester silver tip is the round that I really love. And I had two boxes of those and I'm almost out of them. I tried shooting another brand of bullet, not even close. Right. Just shoots totally differently. Yeah. Um, the, so the 300 Weatherby on the chart, so Hornady must only make a 200 grain bullet. So they're only advertising the 200 grain. Um, and that gets you to the 2198 foot pounds at 500 yards oh, gotcha. and the 36 inch bullet drop. So you'd have to, do some research on the ballistics for, you know, 180 grain bullet, but I think right. you're probably still pretty safe. Yeah. Of. Oh yeah. I'm sure. And if it's shooting good and you're getting tight groups, like Chris said, then don't mess with it. It's like, to me, once you get to that point where you're con- it's all confidence too. Yeah. Like if you're confident in the combination that you're hunting with, you're, there is still a little margin of error that you're going to be okay. And we all still, I think I pull a lot of shots. I think when I miss, just like me golfing, when I go to swing a golf club, oftentimes I'm looking up too soon, and that's what messes up my shot because I want to see where my ball went. And the same thing with behind a gun. I'm popping my head up or something, or maybe I'm pulling to the right with my trigger trigger hand or something. I'm not just doing that light squeeze, you know. It's And that you have to train yourself in that or you're going to continue to make those mistakes. And I think I've never put enough time behind the scope to really get proficient in that regard, I've yeah. trusted that. Oh, this is a gun. It's gonna, it's gonna be good enough. I, you know, it's that bullet is flying. Yeah, you know? my deer rifle. I haven't sighted that thing in like seven years. I, just, I run it all the same. So basically, I'm at the point where now I'm like praying it's on. Yeah, yeah. you well, know where I really need to get out there actually and be responsible about it. Yeah, and do it. And I think a lot of guys get complacent, and then you're not behind the gun a lot. I would try to go shoot at the gun club in the winter when it's cold. I even had guys who would like do some jumping jacks to simulate their heart getting ramped oh, up. Smart. Getting a little nervous. Yeah, Run to the truck game back. time situation. Yeah, see how yeah. you feel mm-hmm. and then shoot prone on the ground. Because a lot yeah. of gun clubs are shooting off a bench. Right. You know, but shoot, shoot in an awkward, get, or get shoot kinda, freehand. I shoot mean, freehand, get uncomfortable. Which, so I've gone to the sticks finally too, just so I carry those little shooting sticks with me. And I, I shot my blacktail last year with shooting sticks and it, it's nice. I mean, you've got, it's not hard to just drop those things down real quick and yeah. have something to take a shot with. Well, my dad, my dad's rifle, he's hasn't sighted in since he was 19. Wow. You know, he's 48 now, almost 49. But also I think going back to like pulling the, pulling your shots and stuff, it's gotta be part of like the weight of your trigger pull too right like my dad's trigger pull you could blow on that thing oh yeah and you're gonna shoot oh yeah so it's light as soon as he gets that finger in there it's going off mm-hmm. which is awesome because it's almost like an element of surprise you're not trying to you're not jerking or and you're not worried about recoil either because when you're trying to fight the trigger on a bigger gun like yeah. that you're kind of thinking about okay i better be holding this thing tight mm-hmm. yeah my one buddy he hunts 300 wind mag and every elk season He's got a picture of his <laughs> the scope on his face and his forehead bleeding. You know? yeah. Like, him, he kills elk, but he pays for it a little bit. You know? sure. yeah. yeah, you kind of get in your own head a little bit, I think. I've shot him down to uh, a precision gun. Uh, it was nine ounces, a trigger. I was too low. I, I shot real tight groups, and then my Tika had a – and I don't know why I even changed the trigger because the factory trigger is like two pounds, and mm-hmm. that's enough. And it was like 12 ounces and I shot a coyote with it one time and I was like, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of light, you know, for me. You want a little bit of resistance. And it's like, you know, personal preference Yeah. in a lot of things. I just want a little bit, a real crisp, nice trigger. 
Um, and I find that I shoot a wider trigger a little bit better. Than something more, you can fit in. Something I can fit on my finger. Yeah, yeah I mean, you got decent size. Yeah, so, you know, pause I mean, there. So there's some guns that my friends own that I've shot. You see it a lot in like ARs, like skinny triggers. I'm like, I can't shoot that. Or have you seen the one where it's got like a little false trigger in front of the trigger, kind of, where you kind of push it in and then you pull the trigger? Yeah. And I don't. Yeah. I've never used one of those, so I don't know how those Just are. But try shooting a set trigger, like mm-hmm. from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Those are something else. We gotta really pull that. Well, baby. it's. Yeah, because they're like a double action, single mm-hmm. action. You can pull that front trigger, and it's real heavy, or you can push up on the, on it, and it's a set. Some guns maybe still do that. Well, muzzle loaders are like that, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just got a muzzle loader this last year. I'm real excited to hunt bears yeah. with it. Oh, that'd oh, that's be awesome. awesome. Oh, that's a Remington awesome, Seven. Yeah. I got a Remington Seven Hundred. The trigger's not that bad, but it it's a fifty cal. And it looks like if you just set it next to other guns, it looks like a shotgun. Oh, of the, yeah. <laughs> the barrel's so big. You can stick your finger down it. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's going to be easy to clean. Yeah. And I'll, then, I'll yeah. tell you another thing on optics. I feel like one of my issues with my 243 is when I originally had that scope put on it, for my arm length, that eye relief is not only right for me when the gun is almost barely touching my shoulder. So then I don't feel like I have a very firm grasp on the gun to where I got more play because of my eye relief isn't set right. And I've always done the cheap approach, like, well, it's good enough, you know? And it's I've learned, like, I've really noticed that on that 243 on that antelope hunt was just I didn't feel like I had the right eye relief set up. And so it's like you've got to get your gun to fit you, and you got to be comfortable with it. And you should be able to pull that thing up and put that scope where you want it to be like that. It shouldn't be like, I'm trying, oh, everything's black. Oh, I got to get it this far away from me. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. That's a big thing too, is like setting up the optics and stuff like that. Like my dad, every single time he gets a new gun, new scope, he has me set it up and I set my scopes up way different than he sets his up. So every time he picks it up, he's like, oh, I don't like it. It's too far for me. And I'm like, well, you had me set it up. This is how I like it. Mm. So obviously, I mean, you're not going to like it type of thing, but that's where it comes into like your personal preference, how it fits you, everything like that is big. I want that rifle tight in my shoulder. Yeah. And like, if I don't feel like I can get that tightness, I just don't feel like I'm going to shoot well. Yeah. I don't get uh, the recoil flinch like some people do. So I've shot some little bit bigger, like a 450, 400 Nitro Express, which is in a heavier gun. It's like shooting a 300 Weatherby. It yeah. really is not that bad, but you're not dealing with optics. When you set up your new gun, you know, because I made the mistake when I first kind of got out on my own, 18, not making sure everything's nice and tight, mm. and then you end up with that scar above your. It's just embarrassing, you know. Yeah. And think about people who don't have anyone to show them. Like my dad never rifle hunted. He was only an archery guy. Yeah. So I I had to go to someone else. Kind of the nice thing now is you can call Loopold. I mean, they will help you. Vortex will help you. Their customer services. Where does this need to be? Like, let's say you lose your book. It will tell you in the scope the proper eye relief that you need to be at. How to measure that and how to set it up. Because a lot of new hunters... If they don't have someone to show them, they'll never know. And if you find a good gunsmith, like we've got a, there's a good guy out in Salem that just works in a small little shop and you can take him anything and he will dial you in. Like, I mean, he'll do as much or as little as you want him to do, you know? And I don't know. There's a lot of good people in in the shooting field, I think. Well, also I was, I, this is a question for everybody, but, um, 
referencing it to bow hunting, you have that anchor point, right? So every, you're trying to get that same spot every time when you're looking through your peep sight. I'd imagine it's got to be the same when you shoulder your rifle to get that same consistency. consistency. It, yeah. it would be good to do that. I don't think a lot of us think of it that <laughs> it way. It should be. It should be. Yeah. yeah. But I guarantee you, I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking I got to get this gun up because typically the animal has seen me and I'm trying to get a shot off fairly right. quickly. You well, know? it's also, that goes back to repetition though. Mm-hmm. It just comes muscle yeah. memory at that point. Yeah, yeah. I think how that translates to, you know, let's say you're shooting 300 yards and you don't get your anchor point right, that bullet's probably going to miss the animal altogether. When you're archery hunting, that may hit him in a spot that's not good. Right. And then yeah. you're all night chasing something. It's going to go bad. You, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that comes with that notch in your tag. No one wants to notch their tag and not get the animal, even though a lot of guys do it, and I've done it. You know, or maybe you don't have the right shot. You know, I've... I've shot a bow since I was a kid and because I'm so big, I can never really find one that fits me right. That's hard. Like the average guy probably can, but I have such big arm, like long arms. So my position is a lot more awkward. So I've, I've let animals walk. I've let deer walk before because I'm not like, you know, I'm just not comfortable right here. That's the right thing to do. For sure. I mean, that's, I think that comes in time too. And it's, I mean, we all, you dream about the ones that get away. I mean, we've all had ones that have gotten away, but I'd rather have it get away than take a bad shot, you know? Yeah. And I think what's funny about this too is when you get into these really high caliber, like the one you mentioned earlier, like you get in the 400 and the 500 caliber range with the exception of the 500 or sorry, the 50 BMG, they, they drop off after 300 yards. Yeah. It's guys just such shooting. a big bullet. Like that's not a long range gun. So yeah. yeah. It's funny, like you just kind of the three thirty eight Lapua is kind of where it starts, and that one's got a lot of recognition and stuff. But when you look at the ballistics on it, it's I, I've kind of crossed it off my list. I mean, I'm sure somebody loves it, but yeah, but who wants to drag that through the mountains? Yeah, yeah, they're huge. What do you guys think about custom guns too? Because there's a whole, you know, you go to a sportsman show and there's all these custom gun makers, right? And they're building these carbon fiber guns with the drop down stands and the all the little access, how everything just accessorizes. And yeah, you're starting probably at four thousand and something like that, and you're going up to maybe twelve, even cheaper yeah. actually. Because last year I almost bought a custom gun at the sportsman show. I don't remember the name of the company, but they were out of Idaho, and I, you know. I wandered through the booths because there's just a lot to see. And I was checking them out. And I think the entry level was somewhere like 2,500, which is a lot. But my Kimber Mountain Ascent is MSRP, like 2,000. So you're going to get it for like 18 around there, plus shipping and all that. And then set it up. And I'm like, wow, you can get a custom gun. Or maybe it's not custom, but like a small run of guns mm-hmm. for relatively decent price but i also think that weatherby has kind of you can buy a really high like a ten thousand dollar gun for like three thousand bucks thirty five hundred for weatherby and they have really changed like my new dream gun because every couple years i get a new one is the backcountry ti and seen those i'm really happy about my kimber because not long after that that gun came out and i would be some real deep what caliber would you get that in well that's the thing I wanted to get it in the 6.5 Weatherby RPM because I watched a couple of their videos. I'm like, wow, that is something else a little bit like maybe a softer shooting uh, caliber with a really light rifle might be beneficial. And they killed the bears and stuff with it. 
which is more than enough for me. I still like they make it in the 280, so maybe I have to get it in the 280. Get your 280 AI. I haven't gotten one yet, so (laughs) that might that might happen. And they were at the Sportsman Show again this year, and I looked at them, and I almost convinced my friend who's in the market for a gun. Uh, But you can get a really, I mean, the Browning. uh, I think they're they're A bolt, the Hell's Canyon speed rifles. Nice, yeah, great gun. I mean. Uh, there's a lot of manufacturers now that are kind of bridging that gap between the custom gun uh, into a full production gun. Yeah, is it Thompson? Is it Thompson or what's they it? They make t- guns. Yeah, I think they're they're kind of like that, like where it's almost custom, but it's more retail, maybe. Yeah, for I sure. Well, uh, I got a question about. I guess they're not necessarily custom, but um, so like in Weatherby, I don't know if you guys know who the Hushin crew is. Yeah, um, they have their own Hush gun. Is there any difference other I than you the know, name? I don't know. Um, I think that it's probably like a joint project between the two companies because they made a uh, – I think Weatherby also made a meat eater gun, mm-hmm. if yeah. I'm not mistaken, which I – honestly, that's not a bad gun. And you can get into – they just came out with a new gun. It was a Vanguard, I think. Uh uh, my buddy's in the market for a gun, a new new hunting rifle, and it was like sixteen hundred bucks. There's not a lot of difference when you've been in the woods between a six pound gun and a six and a half pound gun, or five and a half and a seven. I mean, you're yeah. What's be, the difference? At that point, there's no difference. Yeah, you can get a really great gun and almost all the modern calibers. And when the PRCs come out, it's not long until all these gun manufacturers are getting on board because right. they're seeing the hype. And there are good calibers. You know? Well, and Randy, I think Newberg or something, he's on the Hoya. Sportsman's carries a couple of Hoyas I, that are Randy Newberg specials, and he lines it up with a particular loophole scope. And, like, I think they're probably picking the optics, the trigger weight, all those things to what they think is the optimal weapon gotcha. before they put their name on it would be my guess. Gotcha. Yeah, that's you know? just like uh, Six Hour did one for the Born and Raised guys. And in their, I think it's a SIG cross. So it's more of their chassis rifle and they have it in other calibers, but the born and raised one is just a specific barrel length caliber. Like they only make it in one gotcha. thing. Yeah. That's yeah, a good rifle curious. too. Yeah. They so, I mean, there. we know Dylan, you're going to hunt with the same one gun forever, but John, do you have a gun you're dreaming about? I'm or pretty bad tapped? at, yeah, I'm pretty bad at buying guns. I'm not bad at it, but I buy a lot of them. You're good at spending the money. I'm good at spending the money on them. So every time that I see something, I'm like, yeah, that might be kind of cool. I ended up buying it anyways. So I do a lot of research on calibers that I might want, stuff like that, and then just wait to find one. And then that's how I ended up with the 300 PRC. I did a bunch of research, saw videos on it. I bought one, talked my dad into buying one. So I don't know. I've been kind of looking for, I kind of want something smaller like more of a light, lighter recoil, just kind of mess around predator type gun. And so kind of, I've been looking at a, it's a six millimeter Creed more. So it's basically a 243, but souped up more. Mm-hmm. And I can I think that's kind of my, my, my your, next your one. next baby. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan, is there another gun you would buy or? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I like, that's another thing going back to it. It would be a gun that I would probably only just shoot. Um, Cause I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty biased, man. Yeah. I like the Weatherbees. Um, I would, I like, I'm not in the market for anything. I'm not really looking, but if there's a Weatherbee that I could get and it's cheaper. Yeah, for sure. 
like I'll get one and I'll shoot it. Hopefully the bullets are a little cheaper than the ones I'm shooting now. Um, and you know, just anything that I can just more repetition behind a scope is what I'm really looking for. And honestly, one thing I really want, and I'm so mad at my dad, dude, he gave, I had my first ever 22 lever action traded it mm. to, my, to, uh, our uncle. And I was like, what are you, that's, that's mine, man. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? So I want another 22 lever action. That's my, like my dream one to get. I don't know why I don't just go get it. Yeah. I, I think you should. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, endorse dude. you like you endorsed me earlier. Yeah. So that I support that. Yeah. yeah We're yeah, all supporting sure. that. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of get me back to my yeah. childhood moments. Yeah. Well, and the th- I think there is an element of nostalgia for all of us from what we've been talking about, about the guns. And like, I still like a wood stock and I know right. that some of these other stocks, there's so many advantages to them. So like this long range gun, I'm probably going to go with a synthetic type stock and a weatherproof, if you will, is that they're almost rubberized now, yeah. you know, or the carbon fiber or whatever they call it. But still to me, when I look at a gun like that versus a gun with a really pretty walnut stock or something, that's not an attractive gun. From from like a collection or hand to your kid type of gun, the Woodstock is to me important to be part of your collection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, I I still am like, I haven't pulled the trigger on a pre sixty four model seventy, but I love like shopping for one. Yeah. So I don't. I kind of know thrill what, of the hunt. Yeah, the thrill of the hunt because <laughs> I know when I get it, I'm just like, well, I can't take it elk hunting here because it's going to get destroyed. I can't get it dirty. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know and. They are expensive now. That kind of sucks because I listen to stories when they were like, yeah, you could buy two of them for $40 and they'd send them to your house. It's like, right. God, the 1950s were great. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we were you know? born in the wrong era. Yeah. Now, yeah. like a really bad one's like a thousand. And it's like, but I like looking for them and, and they're, you know, they're in the common calibers mostly. They have different grades, but they are that really nice walnut stock. I mean, even the metallurgy is different. You know, 70 years ago. Yeah. I mean, so it is a very different gun. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a precision rifle. I mean, they just don't make them like that. Yeah. You know, I think well, Weatherby's doing some stuff like a classic line, probably, but yeah. Well, if you look at, um, so one of my other customers, he has a collection of octagon barrel Winchesters. He's a big Winchester guy. Awesome. And just a ton of these things. And I don't know anything about them. They're mostly all lever action, but that was where he really focused. But he has, all, he used to have a gun shop. So, like, you know, I think it's a product of if you own a gun shop, you're going to end up keeping a lot of guns. Oh, yeah. And he'd buy these big collections. But just checking them out and seeing all these octagon barrels with the old, you know, they're just cool. And and they've think of how much those things have gone up in value over the years. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, they just did, and they didn't even know that either, right? Yeah. It was just a tool. I think there's a little bit of, like, you know, I'm in my 30s. No one, none of my friends are interested in that because they grew up in the AR era. Right. You know, those are, and I like them too. They're like Legos. They're fun to shoot. You can make a precision rifle out of them. Right. And I have. You can make a battle rifle. And yeah, that's fun to just pump round, you know, rounds down range. But yeah. they're not like, you know, they have no soul to them, like an old hunting rifle. Yeah. Plus there's a lot of stories that that come with them. You know? Well, and even the old, like the, my 243 is a Seiko and it's like a 1964. And, you know, on that antelope hunt, I got it a little banged up on some rocks trying to get in prone position quickly. And, but that is part of the history of the gun now, you know, that wood dents and you've got these little grooves or even a scratch or whatever, you know, sometimes you're like, Oh, I scratched my pretty gun. But for me, it's the memory of the hunt. So I can look back at those and you know, I don't know. 
Yeah, let's talk about that gun a little bit. I like those a lot. Finnish company. Uh, they make one of the rarest lever actions ever called a Finn Wolf. They made it in 308 and 243. Incredibly expensive, but you can still find those small frame 243s, 222s, 222 mag guns at gun shows here in Oregon. Oh, really? I see them all the time. 700 bucks for your kid or even for you to kind of plink around. Yeah. And they'll, a 222 mag will kill most deer walking around here yeah the smallest caliber you can hunt with is the 22 caliber centerfire in oregon yeah. and so that's why i have that 220 swift and i bought it at a gun show and it's a mauser action mexican contra gun is what it, it oh, had on the cool. tag and it but it's got all this ornate scroll work on it it's really a pretty gun but the thing is like 17 pounds it's so <laughs> yeah. I, it's so heavy yeah. and so i'm like hey son here's this no recoil gun yeah. but you're not gonna be able to carry it yeah, yeah. i'm holding it up yeah. yeah yeah but i think the danger of gun shows for me is and what's wild is when there's a whole line of guns the beauty of an individual gun doesn't stand out but then you buy that gun you get it home and you're like man this thing is beautiful you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. i find myself i've been to a lot of gun shows and my uncle is a big collector and so he, I kind of know the value of certain guns. So I kind of know what to look for. Uh, but I, when I buy a new one, I'm at, like, I'm messing around with it at home. You know, like, God, this thing is so cool. Wiping it down. Yeah. My buddies are like, yeah, okay, who cares? You know, but for <laughs> me, I was like, cause I, I looked for a Seiko for a really long time uh, to find a little small frame. I have a daughter. So eventually I'd like to get her into shooting in many years, but uh, so when I do get one, I know I'm just going to be like, oh, cool. Plus, oh, yeah. you find rare stuff there that, you know, uh, because the gun industry has changed so much, you can get some really cool older guns that you may still be able to hunt with a few nice days a year. And that people are walking by. Like there was another 300 Weatherby mag at a gun show a while back, and I'm still regretting not buying it. But the guy wanted... 1400 bucks for it with a really bad scope on it. Um, but the gun was awesome. It had all this ornate scroll work and stuff and I should have bought it. Yeah. The, I, you know, I saw one sell a 300 Weatherby. It was made by Remington in their classic line. So they did it for like 20 years, I think, but every year they would do a run of an individual caliber, 600 bucks. Nice. Like it looked new. The guy had the box and like, you can't, like you shouldn't pass up on that if you're looking for an elk gun. Yeah, it, I mean you should. You can't lose on that. You one. can't lose on that, and it will, it will that will kill brown bears. I mean, yeah. if if that's what you want to do, or it will kill moose if that's your thing. I mean, a lot of guys aren't probably using those, but that can do it here in North America for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, and I got a question too. Um, getting back kind of on the ballistic side of it, uh, as far as how far we've all shot. I think my farthest one was that mule deer, probably 350-ish. Um, but I'm curious because that's another thing, like as far as this ballistic charts go and stuff, like how comfortable are you shooting at those animals even without the knowledge? Like older times, right? Like when you were going with, you know, my dad and all that stuff going out there, there wasn't really talked about. No, I mean, you just pulled up and shot and you, if you felt comfortable with eyeballing where it was at and you had your crosshairs on the animal and you let it fly and sometimes the deer would hit the ground and sometimes they'd take off running. And I think it was, I've missed a lot of deer that were probably at longer distance than I thought they were, you know, but I've also made my first buck that's in my office here. 
he was at probably 250 downhill on a run and he was with the doe and I put, he was running away from me. I put my 270 up on the antlers, just dropped to the back of his neck and dropped him, you know, and it's cause there's some instinctual element to hunting. Right. And it's like you said, some guys get it and some guys don't. And I'm probably in the middle of that. I have had some really good shots and some really bad shots. Uh, your dad is probably, one of the most proficient hunters I've seen as far as I haven't seen him miss a lot. And I'm sure he has missed, but I've seen him kill a lot of stuff. Usually if I know he's pulling the trigger, that animal is going to be on the ground. And part of it is he's like you said, he's had that rifle since he was 19. He brings it up to his shoulder. He's confident at pretty much any range with it. And he knows where that, where to place that bullet and that animal's done. So you you think your farthest is 250? Uh, probably 250, maybe. I had a doe tag one time on another downhill situation that was probably maybe close to 300 in the LC unit. Uh, but yeah. That's a shot to take on a doe. Yeah, I know. We got her. <laughs> Heck yeah. That's what I'm talking about, Johnny. Yeah, I would say mine's probably the same, too, as two, 250 range. That one? Yeah. That three point? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. It's probably around there. Yeah, mine's probably hunting farmland in the hundreds. Yeah. A lot of it's real short. Right. You don't even, I mean, no range finders. So ultimately what we're saying is we didn't need to talk about this. We didn't need to talk about this. Yeah, it's really important to talk about. (laughs) You know, you're talking about his his dad that, you know, you know that something's going down. Well, how many days in the field has he had shooting? His dad probably knows. That's the thing I've noticed. Like if you have some form of a hunting mentor, they've been in a lot of situations. So they know when to shoot, when not to shoot, um, when a shot is going to be kind of questionable. But that is like the best opportunity to take the shot because mm-hmm. yeah. that, that does happen in hunting. It's so, yeah, sometimes your window of opportunity could be 10 seconds, right? And yeah. you need to react or not react. And that's the difference between gutting an animal and going yeah. home without sure. one. You know? Yeah. Well, this is multiple times for me too, being with them. It's like. As soon as I see that gun, it's an extension of his arm, really. You know, mm-hmm. it's just as soon as I see it come up, it's game over. Yeah. You know, we're, we're done for the day. And Let's I think we all deer. have that confidence with your dad. And so, like, even that one time when he was shooting at those running coyotes yeah. and, he, and he missed the first shot, I was like, what happened? Yeah. And then he smoked him with the next one. You know? Yeah. And I mean, that was a juvenile coyote on the run. Yeah, and that was you – know? One hundred and fifty, probably that one yeah. he hit, oh, yeah. and yeah. then that one he missed small. was farther yeah. than that. They're really small too. Yeah. yeah, it was a little dog. Yeah, yeah. but no predator it control. Yeah, it's cool. It's to all see. about. But I'm also noticing too, like is talking about this long range stuff. You need to rest, mm-hmm. right? So like the bipod situation mounted on your gun and trying to get comfortable shooting prone. I feel like that's probably your most stable. I guess. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I like to shoot standing up, but if with if I have the sticks you know, yeah. or up against a tree. I've done a lot of shots off of a tree limb or on a tree or whatever. I can shoot freehand. So like that blacktail I killed two seasons ago, it was not a long shot with my 243, maybe a 75 yard shot, the first shot and like double lunged him with the first shot, but then like didn't want him to go for it and wasn't sure. And I was with my son. And so he was still moving. And so then my other next drop the sticks, second shot was right in the neck and he was done, Yeah, you know? But just so. talking about those shots, you're pushing past 300. You're oh, going to yeah. want something. Yeah. That Obviously, you're be. the further out you go, the margin of error is a yeah. lot smaller. When you need time, too. Mm-hmm. Like I, with that deer, I didn't have any time. Mm-hmm. That mule deer, it was just instinct. Just let's start going. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting topic really. Yeah. I mean, we've talked longer than I thought we would, honestly, guys. I mean, this is, I'm having a lot of fun doing this. It's cool to just talk through these different scenarios. I think we could all tell hunting stories all day, but, um, I think, uh, we're probably good. I think we move on to the next one until we do this again. So Chris, thanks again for being here. It's good Thank to see you. you. Yeah. It's been a while. I've talked to you on the phone a few times. But it's nice to have yeah, a face to the name. Five years. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. West Slope boys, we appreciate you being here too. So Absolutely. thank you guys. Thanks for having us.